1: Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.
2: Daily Tech News Show is powered by you. To find out more, head to dailytechnewsshow.com support. This is the Daily Tech News for Monday, July 2nd, 2018 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt.
3: And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane.
2: From Oakland, California, I'm Justin Robert Young. And of course, joining us, a fan of 8-Bit chip tunes himself, Roger Chang, our producer. Yes, I am a fan of chips, especially chocolate chips. Mm, 8-Bit chocolate chip tunes. Good stuff stuff. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit today about a study out on automation and its effect on the workforce, but let's start with a few tech things you should know.
3: Tesla confirmed it was able to manufacture 5,031 Model 3s in seven days to meet a milestone it had hoped to achieve in December. Tesla created a new production line in a tent to help meet that goal. The company now hopes to produce 6,000 Model 3s a week, By the end of August.
2: Some people say Elon Musk is a snake oil salesman. I'm sure the tent is not helping. NASA plans to conduct a series of public tests of quieter supersonic technology near Galveston, Texas in November. An F-A-18 Hornet will perform dive maneuvers and at least 500 local volunteers will gauge the thumps it makes to say how acceptable the noise level is. This will help the X-59 supersonic jet team calibrate the tech for its test flights, which are expected in 2021. All right, let's talk a little bit more about some bad news for HTC, Justin. Oh, yeah. HTC announced it will lay off 1,500
4: employees from its Taiwanese manufacturing division. That's about 22% of the company. The company will reorganize for efficiency in an attempt to be profitable. HTC laid off employees and reorganized earlier this year.
2: As well. It's the reorg. So nice. They did it twice. <laughs> I don't know about nice. Uh, but they certainly did it twice. And it has a lot of people worried because HTC, as you remember, sold off a large part of its uh, mobile design team to Google, uh, mostly the team that was responsible for the Pixel phones, which made sense. But they continue to make phones that don't sell. And they continue to not acknowledge that the thing dragging down their profit margin is the phones, but they say they're going to continue to make the phones. Now, far be it from me to tell HTC you'll never make a profitable phone because they make some really great phones. There's no reason they shouldn't sell better. Maybe they'll get it right this time. But the conventional wisdom from the outside, and believe me, I know, backseat driver, it's always easier from the outside, is why don't you focus on the Vive? You've got Oculus out there with a a wireless headset that you could drive out of the market because yours is better, but you'll only sell yours in China. You should be focusing on that.
3: Well, but maybe that's what this is an effort to do, right? It, you know, if if you've got a bunch of people working on phones, they're not selling well, you have to lay people off eventually. HEC certainly isn't the first company to experience this. If they want to double down on the whole VR uh, uh, future, which is, that's a crapshoot as well, uh, depending on who you ask, then they would have to do this. Doesn't mean they won't ramp up later.
2: It does sound well, like they're not, Getting rid of the idea of making the phones, though?: No, 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 they're, they're, they're not because this is the poison
4: pill that they are addicted to eating. Uh, right now, phones are so commoditized in general, specifically on the Android side, that you are looking at features that are in the top of the line phones uh, are on very affordable, very good, uh, 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 very good phones within a year. Right. And HTC is is in exactly that
2: perspective. I mean, HTC wants, if it were me again, I don't know, I'm doing a podcast, but if it were me, I would be making mid tier phones and pushing them in Africa and India, which HTC does not seem to be doing much. Or if they are trying, they're not making much headway in those markets.
3: Well, let's move on to some bad news for photographers. Depends on where you post your photos. Photo sharing site 500pix, that's 500px, has removed the option for photographers to share photos under the Creative Commons License and has closed its stock photo platform called 500 px Marketplace. Visual China Group thought that the company, bought the company rather, back in February, is replacing the marketplace with Visual China Group and Getty Image Partnerships. Royalty rates for photographers won't change while the million or so Creative Commons License images have been removed from download and search 500 picks says it may integrate creative commons into the platform in the future but that was sort of a vague uh, uh note from them 500 picks gave no warning of the removal but archive.org was able to retrieve three terabytes of photos thanks to volunteers i saw a lot of uh, mumbling and grumbling about this over the weekend because it wasn't so much that, okay, a company bought us and now we're changing our strategy. It was that so many photographers had no heads up. It was basically like, if you're Creative Commons and this is something that's working for you, this will all be removed, figure out another option, which is funny because 500 pics at one time was this Flickr alternative kind of worked the same way, had a lot of uh, very high quality photos and photographers who were, who were willing to, um, you know, be social with, with their collections and share them under a variety of different licenses. And it has changed.
4: Well, you know, I, I, I have to wonder whether or not, you know, wh- where is the new market for something like this? Cause, cause like you said, Flickr was beloved amongst photographers and then it never really found its way in a post Instagram kind of world. Uh, I I don't even know where if you really wanted to get into photography, you, maybe you were starting out and you just wanted to get exposure, uh, and, and have your images used places. Like, where do you go these
2: days? Like, where do you post these things? I mean, 500 pics is still there. I, I think there's. it's easy to misinterpret this story in a lot of ways. First of all, Visual China Group bought the company and said, hey, you know what we have? Our own marketplace. We'd like to put that in 500 pics, at least yeah. in China. So let's start there. Oh, if we do that, it doesn't really make sense to operate the old marketplace outside of China. Let's license with Getty Images. That'll make us more money. It'll also be better for the photographers because then when they license through 500 pics, they get licensed through Getty Images. They're liable to make more money because they might get sold off site of 500 pics through getty images as well this is going to be great for everyone oh wait getty images doesn't really integrate with creative commons how many people are using the creative commons function not that many that's a small percentage we're not familiar with creative commons culture so let's get rid of it as a business decision and an engineering decision it makes perfect sense hold on we didn't give anyone any notice and now they're very upset that these images that were creative commons licensed particularly to be able to be preserved and shared easily are suddenly disappearing without any kind of uh, notice. No wonder they're getting angry. Like I don't think 500 picks meant to do something bad, but they did something very badly. They, did, so, they should not have rolled it out that way.
4: It, this is an engineering solution. That was not communicated to
2: consumers in
4: in the an effective way. This was just engineering and
2: business both like I mean, there's no reason not to keep creative commons unless you're like, oh, it just isn't worth the man hours to put on it, which is why they're saying we're not ruling out adding it later if we see there's demand for it.
3: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but your question remains, Justin. What would be the best alternative for any photographer who's like, well, you know, the Creative Commons license is really important to me, and mm-hmm. you know, that's where I I share, or I, or uh, you know, someone like me might might get photos that way. I don't know. Um, I I'd love to know what what the new cool thing yeah. is. I know it's not Flickr.
2: E Barch uh, suggests Smug Mug in the chat room. Uh, mug but mug. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Send us your favorites uh, feedback at dailytechnewshow.com. dot com. All right, security researchers from Ur- Ruhr Universitat Bochum and New York University Abu Dhabi have revealed a vulnerability in LTE. They call Alter. Get it. LTE is capitalized mm-hmm. in the word yeah. Alter. Al- 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 yeah. Good uh, so this is a vulnerability and it's a serious one if you're in the surveillance industry, if you're in really, you know, uh, sensitive uh, uh data uh in in the in the business of of trafficking sensitive data, but it's not going to be one that affects most of you. An attacker in proximity of the target, so first of all, they have to be nearby and they have to have around $4,000 worth of sniffing equipment. So this isn't going to be just anybody off the street, uh, could sniff out your data and first of all, use the amount of time data requests take and the amount of data that's trafficked to kind of identify what sites are being visited despite encryption. It's something called fingerprinting. So they can get enough data to do some fingerprinting and say, oh, I think I know where they're going. Then the attackers could also direct traffic to malicious DNS servers. There's a lack of integrity checks in LTE's lower layers that can allow them to spoof DNS servers and get your traffic to visit their DNS server, which could serve malicious pages. The worst thing about it is it's baked into LTE. There's really no way to patch it. Uh, So you kind of have to wait for 5G to come along for this to be gone. In the meantime, if you are somebody who says, well, wait, you know, somebody with $4,000 of sniffing equipment nearby me is a is an actual real risk, then you're going to want to make sure that you're only visiting sites using HTTP strict transport security or DNS security extensions. That limits the amount of sites you can go to, of course. So, I mean, I, I, I
0: definitely
4: would... Be curious to see. Uh, you know this. This seems like the kind of thing that that at you know DefCon would be uh, uh, you know something that was that was talked about. But uh, it, it seems like this is not this. This, this isn't quite a
2: retail problem. It's for, n- for, exactly uh, that's a really good way of putting it. It's something to know about, something to be aware about, especially if you end up in a position where you're like, oh, wait a minute, this could be a problem. But the vast majority of people listening to this show are not going to have to worry about it. So important to know. Not important for most of you to worry about.
4: Dell, which owns 80% of VMware, says it will buy back the VMware tracking stock it issued in 2016 in order to simplify its ownership structure. Dell will offer $109 per share or 1.3665 shares of Class C Dell common stock. Dell says it it will list the Class C shares back on the New York Stock Exchange following the completion of the buyback
2: making Dell a public company again. Yeah. So if, if you didn't quite follow that, the, they, a tracking stock is something that you put out when you don't want to put out stock for the entire company. Uh, but let's say well, in VMware's case, you have a company that used to be public and you kind of want it to keep trading. So it's called a tracking stock because of that. And so what Dell's doing is saying that makes it complex to make Dell public again. So we need to buy back all of that stock Give those people Class C stock in Dell, which is private right now. Then we can take Dell public. So the upshot is, uh, D- Dell's going back to the stock exchange. It sounds like.
4: Yeah, man, dude, what a what a a, a circuitous route for, uh, for 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 Dell over the past fifteen years, huh?
2: Yeah, I mean, I kind of thought it was the idea of public pressure on Dell is what was keeping it from succeeding. But it sounds like that was only a temporary solution in their mind is we just needed to get out of the public eye for a while so we could fix stuff. Now we fix stuff. We can go back and be public again.
3: Moving on to bike shares. Lyft acquired Motivate, which is the bike sharing company that operates uh, City Bike in New York City. If you've been to New York City, you know that they're very prolific there. Ford's Go Bike program in San Francisco. Lyft says Motivate has about 80% of bike share trips in the U.S. It's also operating networks in Chicago, Boston, D.C., Portland, Columbus, Ohio, Minneapolis, now, Lyft competitor Uber bought e bike startup Jump earlier this year. So this is a bit of a trend that, and Uber has applied for a permit to operate a network of electric scooters in San Francisco. Lyft has applied for a permit in San Francisco there as well. Mm. So, all right, we talked a lot about uh, electric scooters on Friday's show in our roundtable show uh, with with Shannon Morris and Trisha Hirschberger, but. I think this is really smart. I mean, I had not realized that Motivate, the parent company of City Bikes, which I've used in New York City, um, and it is lovely, at least if the weather's right, I did not realize that their network extended to so many other cities.
4: This is a fundamental path in the wood, one way or another kind of decision. Because Motivate, if you are not familiar, the difference is that uh, for either the Ford go bikes or the city bikes in New York, you have these paddocks that are permitted and they are out on uh, street corners. They, they have done a great job of figuring out where the big traffic points are. You get it out of one paddock, you go, you plug it into the, the, the paddock near where you want to go. And that's that process. The far more anarchistic and uh, at times legally straining model is what we have seen with, Let's say bird and lime and uh, jump, which Uber bought, where you just find a bike somewhere you you turn on your app, you see that it, it's it's around your neighborhood, you walk, you get it, and then you just leave it wherever you want with, with very, very few restrictions you are you are uh, leaving it in in public places, not a specific government approved paddock so uh, it's it's interesting to see Lyft going this way. Getting into this game where they already have a tremendous foothold, while I kind of wonder with how easy some of this other that the other business model is, whether or not that's going to be the dinosaur. Is motivate where the puck is and lime and bird and jump where the puck is going.
2: Well, and and Lyft wants to do both, and Uber wants to do both, so it kind of doesn't matter. I think what Uber and Lyft want are, when you get out of the car, we're partnering with public transit agencies to tell you, hey, you can buy a transit pass through us in certain areas. Or we want to be able to tell you, oh, we know you still have a little ways to go to get to the place you wanted to. Uh, here, grab the scooter slash bike and it will get you there. They just want to cover every step on your path from one place to another.
3: Yeah, if you use public transportation, I think Shannon was talking about you know, uh, you know, being near a bird station um, last Friday. It's like the idea of having a place where you get a scooter or a bike or wherever in a designated location where you know they're, they're going to be. That doesn't have to go the way of the dodo just because we have the birds and the limes and, you know, that sort of riddling of, of, of scooters all over the place in other senses. I think there's room for both. I don't totally know how it shakes out, but I do know that between Lyft and Uber, um, getting, getting uh, you know, market share in this sense, especially because you can piggyback it onto, I took a Lyft And then I took a Lyft-owned bike to get to my final destination, you know, that last mile or whatever. Makes a lot of sense. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax,
2: and think about
3: work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com.
4: The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI, with models at every point on the price-performance curve. You no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet
1: Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The only thing I would say and on, the, on the way out is that I do think that there is a difference when you are working
4: with the city uh, uh, in overhead. That is the appealing business side of the the more anarchistic you're just finding the the bike or the scooter model. We'll be curious to see which one wins out. Or or does better. Or if they both work, then great.
3: I will say, just in closing, there's a bird scooter right outside my apartment building. It's been on the street and is making weird beeping noises and has been doing it for three days and no one's used it. And I don't know when it's ever going to go away and it's very annoying.
4: So that, that, hey by the way, that's big money if you bring it into your house and charge it. I- <laughs> Don't,
3: is that what I'm supposed to do? I just want it to stop beeping.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: if you want to make
2: that green.
3: <laughs>
2: Might I make it stop beeping too. Who knows? Might be a win-win. <laughs> hey, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, subscribe to Daily Tech Headlines at DailyTechHeadlines.com. Oh, economists. They worry us. They talk to us. They try to educate us uh, about automation. And automation is something that I have talked about in the sense of, Most likely we see automation eliminates, eliminates some jobs while other jobs get created and there is an economic tradition for that kind of thinking which is touched upon in what i think is one of the best papers that i have read about this yet the rise of the robot reserve army automation and the future of economic development work and wages in developing countries by Lucas schlogel and andy sumner of king's college london their paper is put out through the center for global development about the effects of automation not just on economic development and wages but particularly in developing countries. What I like about it is they say, yes, generally speaking, developed countries that have service economies are less likely to be affected by automation because, first of all, automation doesn't affect service jobs as much. And second, we see examples where there are pressures to keep service employees employed and it's easier to shift them into other things. Where it will be a problem is in what are considered more manual labor, uh, more unskilled labor, and developing countries have much larger percentages of the population engaged in that, and that is where we should be paying attention about how to aid the transition. Now, the paper says too much attention is being focused on determining the feasibility of automation to decide which jobs are going to be replaced, which automation is willing is going to work they 're like we should worry about that, but we 're spending all our time on that. Just because something can be automated doesn't mean it will be. There are costs, there are legalities, there are cultural beliefs about I don't want to talk to a robot, stuff like that. They all play a part and not enough is being done to study this. Where will the effects actually happen? For example, in the paper, they mentioned that in Indonesia, Indonesia's toll booth operator PT Jasa Marga eliminated 20,000 toll booth jobs with automation but not one person has been laid off from that company yet. Now, there are lots of reasons why that might be, and they go through them in this paper. But the point being, just because jobs get eliminated doesn't mean the people get laid off, certainly not right away. There's an example of it. Now, what they say is that most of the disruption is going to come in these countries where the labor market is filled with unskilled jobs in factories and agriculture. And they say, rather than causing mass unemployment, AI and robots are more likely to lead to stagnant wages and deindustrialization. So not mass firings and mass layoffs, but people just getting stuck in jobs that don't grow or don't make them enough money. They say as agricultural and manufacturing jobs are automated, workers will continue to flood the service sector, driving down wages. And in these countries, the service sector can absorb them like they can in some developed countries. So The current debate focuses too much on technological capabilities and not enough on the economic, political, legal, and social factors that will profoundly shape the way automation affects employment. What do you guys think of this? You know, the TLDR being we need to be focusing on how will automation affect jobs and what can we do in advance of that?
4: Well, this all makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I... do believe that we are at a point now. And we were just talking about this on, on the weird things podcast earlier today, that automation will is, is the greatest looming kind of a threat here. I do think that this makes a lot of sense to say that it is going to be in third uh, in developing countries. I guess let's not say third world uh, that, that this will hit harder. Now, the question is, in these top-down economies, or many of them are restrictive, will it be allowed to spread as fast? Like, will will the governments decide that this is what is, is best for everybody? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that this is a, a, a worst-case scenario, but I don't know how realistic it is.
3: Well, if you think about, Tom, you mentioned the cultural aspects of it. You know, people don't like talking to robots. Think of Amazon's... Uh, Amazon Go, what? what's the, uh, the store where they don't have any cashiers anymore yeah, up yeah. in Seattle? Mm-hmm. Uh, y- you know, that's a great example of something where it's like, okay, well, it's a little weird. You know, it might be kind of weird if I went in there the first time. But if it makes sense for the company's bottom line... The cultural stuff, we'll just all have to get used to it, right? Because companies want to uh, you know, make as much money as possible and be more efficient. And if this is the way that they can do it, they will. And that applies to any country anywhere, um, any company in any country anywhere. That said, if... And, and we and we do a lot of the stuff like, well, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to get laid off. It just means that humans have the opportunity to have even better jobs, you know, and 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 will expand on these more sort of menial tasks that 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 if the robots take over, it frees us all up to do other things. However, yes, in an economist sense, if that means that you might be in a position even more so that isn't growing. Um, where your wages aren't growing, and there are enough people in that position to, to 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 make a difference, that that is an issue. It doesn't mean you know even if you don't lose your job, it means if there's no opportunity to grow, that's that's not a good thing, especially in a lot of these companies which are supposedly forward thinking and you know disrupting and changing the world.
2: Yeah, I, the the thing to keep in mind is is what this paper is saying is not. We we know what the nightmare scenario is. What they're saying is we don't know what the scenario is. What we know is that the early indications are that automation disrupts service-based economies that are usually developed countries less uh, and that those seem more resilient. What we don't know is what these developing countries are going to do where it looks like what happens is that – the automation is done in the developing countries, takes away the need, the demand for the industries that have been employing people in the developing countries, takes away their advantage of cheap labor because the automation is cheaper and and leads to deindustrialization. And that's what you need to anticipate. So it's, it's not just about, oh, you know, the policy of the country is going to affect it. It's what happens on a worldwide scale as well. And they recommend that countries look at uh, not creating manufacturing clusters to defend themselves against this, but long-term automation-resistant sectors and building up social, educational, healthcare, tourism, things that are going to be resistant to automation in the future is is what we should be studying and advising countries to look at if they want to prevent this sort of thing from happening. So this is all about where we go forward.
4: Yeah. Like uh, let's, yeah, let's basically this
2: paper it. is saying, Hey, nobody's looking at what we need to do. They're all looking at like, Hey, this might get rid of these jobs. Great. That's fine. What about figuring out what jobs actually get impacted and figuring out how to, how to deal with that? Yeah. <laughs> Smart.
3: Well, I will say that this subject is very active in our subreddit and thanks to everybody who submits stories in our subreddit about you know, robots and, and, and everything else. Uh, we love them. It helps us understand what you want to know more about and what we should talk about on the show. Submit stories and also vote on others at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com and facebook.com groups slash dailytechnewsshow is another place you can hang. All right, let's move on to our thing of the day. Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler has a tip about airlines using AI.
0: This is Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler with another tech In travel, minute. And yet another story in terms of where AI is coming. In the travel industry, we're seeing 52% of all airlines are working with some sort of AI. Some are working with it to try and resolve issues more rapidly. Whether you're talking to a chatbot, or even better, if you're talking to a person, they can have an AI that is simultaneously parsing this to try and get you answers quicker. I think everybody can be happy with that if it gets us the right answer. They're also looking at suggesting future flights and trips. That can be good if it's used wisely. Obviously, if I'm calling to complain and yell at them, then that might not be the best time. And then they're also integrating with smart devices. So we saw United has come out with the United skill, so I don't have to talk to someone to check in for a flight or to get flight status. I can do that with my voice, with the Amazon Echo or other similar devices the one that's a little creepy is they talked about ai being able to tap into your fitbit to detect how agitated you are when you're calling and tailor a response accordingly i'm not sure i want you to have access to that data that one seems a bit far fetched to me i'm chris christensen <laughs> From amateur traveler, we see your heart rate is ninety-five, ma'am. Please, you
3: seem you seem upset.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If if they're gonna treat me with kid gloves and
4: uh, skip me to the front of the line, then I'm gonna be doing. I'm gonna be running stairs.
3: (laughs) I have kind of a funny thought. I know we're probably far away from this, but you know, just just um, expanding on our automation talk. How long until the drink cart is automated? And it's just a little robot going down the aisle.
4: You know, I wouldn't be shocked. Or, uh, you know, I, I, I was very bummed to see that uh, Virgin's model of not having a drink cart, but rather just having an, some kind of ordering system uh, that you could automate uh, would just be a smarter way to do it.
3: Is, that, is Alaska Airlines not continuing that? Because I, I, I agree with you. That was a way better way to do it.
4: Yeah, I don't know if Alaska is continuing that tradition. I do know that it didn't catch
2: on. Wait, and Virgin that. even stopped doing it. I would order a drink and then really? the drink cart would come by and they'd say, did you order a drink? I'm like, okay, that kind of obviates uh, the, the thing. So let's check in the mailbag, Sarah. What do we get from email?
3: Let's do it. Matt from Cincinnati emailed us regarding our Friday discussion on regulating electric scooter rentals. Matt says, even though I'm against regulations in general, and I know that this would never happen. I think the most sensible regulations have already been put into place. And those are motorcycle laws. I'm in Ohio. As far as I'm aware, scooters, if they were introduced here, would fall under the definition of a motorcycle. And as such, would require a motorcycle license to operate. It would also ensure that people are aware of the laws and the customs and general courtesies that go along with riding bikes. And the police could easily enforce rules of the road and prevent them from being used on sidewalks. I'm At least in my part of town, a lot of people are riding scooters on sidewalks, which you're not supposed to do on a bicycle either. In general, Matt says it's not the world's biggest hurdle to get one, but it certainly wouldn't make the scooter companies happy as it's another step to use that service, meaning getting that motorcycle license.
2: I I love Matt's self-awareness. He's like, look, I know this is not going to happen. I know the scooter companies wouldn't like it, but we've already got the rules you need. It's called a motorcycle license. You know, it's may not ever work, but but he's not wrong. Like the, the complaints that we made are all covered by being aware of that sort of thing. It's one of those, it's all fine until it applies to you. If it applies to the scooter companies, it's going to apply to you if you just go buy a scooter. And then you're going to be like, wait, why do I need a motorcycle license to ride a scooter? That doesn't seem right. And that that's where it all falls apart politically. But yeah, I, I think Matt's right.
3: Yeah, I would think there's something, you know, I know in San Francisco when we all lived there, um, it, you know, there was sort of like mopeds. They work really well for the city and they kind of are motorcycles, but you don't take them on the highway. So there are some sort of different legalities involved there. The scooters probably, and again, not that I want anything bad to happen to anybody ever, but I think when there are enough accidents that put people into sort of this FUD area that we're not quite in yet, you know, because we're all just talking about them being littered on the side of the road, then we'll probably have more conversations about Um, what kind of licenses you need to operate one
2: as they come to more cities too. Right now it's considered, Oh, that's a San Francisco problem. That's a West side LA problem, but it's expensive.
3: Yeah. Well, thanks Matt for writing in. And also thanks to Justin Robert Young for being with us on Monday, fresh off the Vegas circuits. What's been going on besides uh, not drinking enough water.
4: Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked, Sarah, because uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys know, but it, it is a big week. Uh, we're celebrating a birthday for good old America. Yep. The old bag is turning another year old, and uh, we're, we're celebrating here. Only, uh, <laughs> you
3: know we call her now the old bag. <laughs> you know, <I> she <laughs> looks know
4: great for
2: now. 242. Or She what really about. does.
4: Hell yeah. So uh, the contender, the game of presidential debate, the game that I created with uh, my co-creator, John Teasdale, they, uh, uh we are we doing a big sale for the entire independence week. It's so bogus that, uh, July 4th is on uh, a Wednesday. So we're extending this thing throughout the entire week. Uh, not only is the base game, 500 cards, uh, uh now 1776 for the week, uh, cheapest price that it's ever been listed at. And there are many expansions, if you want our little ten-card mini expansions, all this week they're buy one get one free. So you want to buy, you know, you get two for the price of one, two for the price, or sorry, four for the price of two. All that. Do the math, folks. Even though Americans were not so good at it, but but it, this is easy. I, I guarantee you. Just go to the site thecontender.us and uh, check out. Use code Rockets, as in the red glare Rockets at checkout, and you get the 1776 base decks and buy one get one free. Mini expansions.
2: Go do it! Excellent! I'm going to change all the prices to my books to $17.76, the most expensive they've ever been.
3: But, you know, it's patriotic.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Probably won't work as well as what Justin's doing. So maybe do what he said. Uh, Also, thank you to all of our patriots, the people who support us on Patreon. Uh, We got well more than 10 people than we had last month. So huge thanks to everybody who supports us at patreon.com slash DTNS. And if you want to show off your patriotism of being a Patreon, you can get some gear at dailytechnewshow.com slash store.
3: If you want to give us feedback, have questions, comments, anything, you know what to do. Feedback at dailytechnewshow.com is our email address. We're also live Monday through Friday, 4 thirty p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. We would love to have you join us live. If you can, you can find out more at dailytechnewshow.com slash live.
2: Back tomorrow with the French Revolution himself, Patrick Beja. Talk to you then.
1: <laughs> this show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at FrogPants.com.
4: Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker.
0: <laughs> Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools,